Happy Easter. Uh, a dear friend of mine was walking in and that, uh, before the early service and reminded me that one day she came to church many years ago, and I hugged her and told her that uh, the sweater she had on was very yellow. <laughs> and so um, uh, I uh, told her that uh, since I have the shape of an Easter egg, I thought I would go <laughs> for the color to actually impersonate one uh, this Easter Sunday. So, uh, yeah, it's good to see everybody in, in bright colors and uh, be worshiping uh, on this Easter Sunday. Before I read the text, uh, let me pray and uh, we'll jump in. Father, we rejoice today in your goodness and um, we do not take uh, those uh, words for granted. Um, uh, the goodness that we have in this life comes from you. The hope that we have in this life comes from you. The mercy that we have in this life comes from you. The power that we have in this life comes from you. The faith that we have in this life comes from you. And indeed, life itself comes from you. And so we worship you today, grateful, even as we proclaim the risen Lord, we eagerly anticipate uh, his uh, once his coming again. And so, Lord, bless us today with hope. We pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9, the text is in the bulletin, also up on the screens behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him, not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Uh, this week, as I was looking at the bulletin, as it was being prepared and uh, thinking through things, I'm so glad that we included the passage from Mark that Kevin read at the beginning about uh, what those women found on the first Easter Sunday. And I love the words that the angels say. You, the angel says, you seek Jesus of Nazareth. Um, you, you may be here this morning because of any number of reasons, um, but my hope and my trust is this morning uh, that uh, you will see the risen Christ. 
And let me be clear about that. I say this every uh, Easter Sunday just so that uh, everyone's clear. You can go on the internet and read all sorts of niceties and articles and, and that sort of thing about what Easter means and Easter hope means. Uh, I want to be clear to you that the thing that we are declaring today and the thing that we are, we are talking about is this, that we believe uh, that Jesus Christ uh, on Good Friday died, really died, and that there were people that evening who touched his body, pulled him off of that wood, wrapped him quickly, carried him to a grave like pallbearers do, and put his cold, stiffening, dead, battered body in a tomb. If you've ever touched a dead body, or if you've ever been around a dead body, you understand what that is like, and that is exactly what they experienced. And on Sunday morning, that dead body walked out of that tomb, physically. And those people who touched him, who washed him a little bit, who wrapped him in those clothes, saw him and touched him and listened to him and ate with him. That's what we are declaring this morning. Not uh, some kind of ethereal hope against hope. Because as the Apostle Paul says, if, if Jesus died and he just left us a message, or if Jesus died and he just left us an example, we should be miserable. But the truth is, that we declare, that the scripture reveals, is that he really rose from the dead. There's a great uh, interview in last week's New York Times between uh, Tish Harrison Warren, uh, an author, and Tim Keller, a pastor in our denomination. And um, uh, you know, Tim has made his living over the last 40, 50 years uh, talking to and addressing uh, what uh, was once called Christianity's uh, culture despisers. Right? And he even says in this article, as he talks about how precious uh, the uh, resurrection is to him, that he often uh, runs into people who say, I can't believe anybody with more than a third grade education believes that. <laughs> Which I just think is hilarious. I just think that's great. So let me just say something to you today. If you're, a, if you're one of the culture despisers, or maybe not even a despiser, maybe just a skeptic, or maybe today you're just so sad you can't believe that this could happen. Or you're so jaded, or so disappointed, or so embittered by life. Um, I want to tell you today why I believe in the resurrection. And there, there's, a, you know, there's a whole publishing industry around all of the reasons and all of the technical things and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I want to tell you today, the reason why I believe Jesus really rose from the dead is the human evidence. And what do I mean by that? Well, I'm a human, believe it or not, and I'm afraid and weak, cowardly, doubting, uh, easily disappointed, easily embittered, uh, easily discouraged, 
even sinfully, shamefully despairing. So I, I qualify, I check all those boxes, okay? Now, here's the thing. Those people who saw Jesus were just like that. Just like that. And something happened to them on Easter Sunday when they saw him that changed them. It changed them so much that they were willing to spend the rest of their lives telling everybody they ran into that Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, died, was buried, rose again. And in fact, they maintained that until they died. And in fact, many of them died because they did maintain that. And so when I think about uh, a, a reason to believe uh, the resurrection, to believe that it happened the way the scripture describes it, that's why I believe it. And I think that is a good thing for us today because the reality is we live in a physical world. We live in a world where people get sick and die. As we've already heard this morning, where a one-month-old can die. We've already prayed today for the wicked and evil that happens in our world, the violence. We recognize that as the, the truth. And so any answer to that that does not take into account and does not enter into the very time and space and physical nature of the world in which we live is, is a false hope. But because Jesus really died and really rose in his body, we have a genuine, real, material hope. And I think that's, that, that, that's a great thing for us to, to, to uh, come together around this morning with our questions, uh, with our hurts, uh, with our temptations, and to worship. Because that's what Peter says in this text. You can put my notes up now, Michael. Is uh, He begins this letter. Peter, one of those people who was terrified, one of those people who ran to the tomb that Easter Sunday after hearing the testimony of the women and looked and saw the place where Jesus had laid. He writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that word for blessed means worship. It means that we come together today and that our hope and the, the, the very thing that we declare to the world is that we worship a God who raises the dead. That we worship a God who in, in all of these things has done this for us. And that's the great place for us to begin today. And the, that all of this that we celebrate today is not our doing. It's not, it's not that we got it together and God did this for us. Or that we filled in the gap that God left undone. No, the, the fact of the matter is we are powerless against death. We are powerless to manage it ourselves. And God demonstrates his grace and as, as Peter says here, his great mercy. Right? So that our relationship with God, our hope, our life today is founded upon the fact that this God looks at us 
in, in mercy, that he looks at us broken, sinful, tempted, finite beings, and when he looks at us, he is not repelled, but rather is attracted to us in mercy. So that everything that Peter's going to tell us now about the reason why we bless our Father, the reason why he has this great hope, the reason why he, does, uh, he is able to call on us to worship in this way is this, that this God who made us, who is the Lord of the universe, looks upon broken, sinful people like us, and he has mercy. He does not because of the, the, the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, because we are joined to him, he does not hold our sins against us. In fact, Jesus as our atoning sacrifice, because he died on the cross and rose again for our justification, we have the absolute assurance that our God's heart, his eyes are inclined to us and that we are the recipients of his mercy because he has done this in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus has lived and died and risen again, I have every reason to turn to this God because he looks at me and he blesses me because he blesses me. That is a great place for us to begin today because what Peter wants us to understand is the very celebration of Easter, the very recognition that Jesus lived, died, and rose again is an evidence to us that this God comes to us in great mercy. Maybe you've never been a recipient of mercy um, that you can remember. Uh, there was a period of time uh, in my 50s where I was in a hurry. And the reason why I know I was in a hurry is because I got four speeding tickets in about six years. In fact, two of the very kindly police officers who stopped me from killing myself or killing someone else in the way in which I was driving said, would say to me, where are you going in such a hurry? That's a great question, actually. Where are you going in such a hurry? And two times, once when I was going, uh, I was in a 25 mile an hour zone. It was actually a speed trap, but that's another story. <laughs> and uh, I, I was going unbelievably fast in a minivan. You know, there's, there's such uh, razzle-dazzle cars. And I uh, had my family with me, was pulled over and the police officer said, do you have any idea how fast you were going? And I said, no, but I know I was flying. And he's like, you were. Give me your license and your registration. And I was literally thinking, how am I going to explain to the kids, dad's got to go to jail tonight. <laughs> and he came back to the car and he handed me the stuff back and uh, with a warning and said, Mr. Shelby, slow down. Have a great day. I could have kissed that guy. <laughs> Mercy sets you free. Mercy is the very fountain of life for God's people. But secondly, not only do we have great mercy, he goes on to tell us here, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. There's nothing so wonderful, nothing so sweet as new birth. 
The, the fact of the matter is, what, what Peter is getting at here is that because when Jesus Christ died and he rose again, he extends to us this new life that he achieved by his life, death, and resurrection. And suddenly now, we, we are new creatures. We are newly born. We are, are, are remade, newly made into something that the, the, the power of sin and death is losing its power over. And it is a sweet thing for us to experience that. It is a sweet thing for us to rest in that. It is a sweet thing for us to identify that. Because just as Jesus was dead and now is alive, because of the rebirth that he gives to me, I was dead in my trespasses and sins, but now he has made me alive. And, that I am, uh, uh, and, and, the, and this new life is a life that daily, daily, daily becomes less and less tied to this broken world. It's something beautiful and it's something sweet. Um, one of the great things that we have gotten to experience over the last couple of years is the birth of some grandchildren. And I don't know how babies do this, particularly newborn babies. It's, 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 some, something must happen to us as we get older, but little babies' heads smell so good. There's just something about their skin and the way they smell and you're holding them and you sniff them. I, I could sniff that all day long. It's so sweet, so beautiful. Well, the new birth is better than that, sweeter than that. And it is a new birth to eternal life that Jesus has guaranteed to us not only by dying for us, but by justifying us by his resurrection. We worship God today because he is merciful. We worship him today because he has given us a new birth into this hope. But we do that based on something that God actually did in time and space through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter goes on to say there later on in this chapter that who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Because of the resurrection today, one of the things that this sets us free to do is to not place our hope and to not place our glory in all the things in which we place our hope and glory that die or that are already dead or that might lead us to death. You see, that's the great promise that we have here because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead because uh, we, we place our faith and our hope in him. We don't even place it in ourselves. We don't even place it in our government. We don't place it in anything other than the fact that this God who loves us, who is merciful to us, who raises us to new life, gives us a place to situate our hope, a place for us to situate our faith. And I just want to say something about uh, hope. We're going to confess our sins in a little bit before we come to the table, and we talk about the fact that our hope and our love our faith wears thin. And it certainly does, does it not? I mean, there's, there's much that wears away at us. Uh, I was thinking this morning as I walked in here and we, you know, we're running out of bulletins and we're running out of chairs and we're doing all of those things. It was only two years ago when there were nine of us in here. 
you know? Uh, in many ways, that seems like that was a million years ago, but it was just two years ago. Much has worn against us over the last two years. Much has come at us to rob us of our love, of our faith, and our hope. But here's the thing. Because Jesus Christ walked out of that tomb, hope is sure. Even when my grasp on it is weak. The fact that I have a weak grasp on hope, the fact that I have a weak grasp on faith, the fact that I have a weak grasp on love doesn't make it less powerful. Doesn't make it less uh, profound. Doesn't make it less effective. The fact is, God has done this in Jesus Christ. And it has changed everything. And it is changing me even in the midst of my own struggles, my own disappointments, and my own worries in the life in which I live. But not only that, that we place our faith and our hope in God who raises the dead. He goes on here to say that he has given us uh, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. But what, a, what a rich promise that is. You know, as, as someone who's getting older, I think about, you know, what's the legacy? What, what, what inheritance am I going to leave to my children, you know? Uh, my parents, my dad, uh, grew up in uh, grinding poverty in a house uh, that had no running water, had a dirt floor. Uh, there were 14 of them. He slept in a bed with four other kids. And I'm like, how did you do that? He's like, well, one had his head on this end of the bed, and the other one had his head on the other end of the bed. And I'm like, so you slept next to your brother's feet? Yes. Yes, he did. He got his first, my mom bought him his first toothbrush uh, on their honeymoon. He had always brushed his teeth up till that point in time with a willow stick. So when he died, he never made a lot of money, but he was very frugal. He left us a little bit, a little bit. And my brother and I, when we were settling uh, the estate, we marveled at the fact uh, that our dad loved us so much that even in, even in death, he was still providing for his family. You see, that is, that's one of the things that fathers do. That is, and so what we have here is the work of Jesus Christ comes to us as an inheritance from our father. That, that the life that we have, the new birth that we have, the mercy that we have, the hope that we have is this thing that he gives to us. And we walk and we live in that now, but the full fruition of that comes to us later. So that what we have here is the very promise that this thing, though, though we're, not, we're not fully into that inheritance now, it is being kept for us. And it is gaining in interest and dividends every single day. And God ensures that we will experience that full inheritance. And not only that, not only that, but when we receive that inheritance, unlike most ungrateful children, you can't spend it all away. You can't fritter it away because it never runs out. 
the mercy and the grace, the kindness and the power of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is poured out upon us in a way that we can never run out of it. That is the hope of glory that we have. Wait a minute, go back a second. I think there was one more I wanted to say. Yeah, and God's keeping that inheritance for us. You don't keep it. He hasn't given it to you ahead of time so that you might... God, God is maintaining this and guarantees to us and vows to us and promises to us that it will be there and that it is there and it will be ours forever and ever. So what do we make of this? Here it is, Easter Sunday. We look better than we typically do. We're dressed up, bright colors. Man, I see more ties in the room today than I didn't know that there were people that wore ties anymore. I thought, thought we were done with that. And I see guys in sport coats who I'm like, you have a sport coat? So um, it is, <laughs> it's amazing. It's just, it's, it's, it's beautiful. Frankly, it is. I, and I say that not to make fun at all. Listen, like I said, two years ago, there were nine of us in here. You're beautiful to me, right? But tomorrow is another day, isn't it? There's still a war raging in Europe. Uh, we just heard about a one-month-old who passed this past week. We recognize uh, our own, uh, you know, we, uh, lack of hope in our own lives. Many of us have grown irritable and angry and embittered over the struggles that we've had the last couple of years. Many of us uh, worry and wonder about what our economic future is like. All of these things are real. But here's the thing. As real as they are, there is something even more real. Something more powerful and something greater than the troubles we face. Uh, in last Sunday's uh, New York Times on the opinion page, uh, Tish Harrison Warren, an Anglican uh, priest, did an interview with uh, Tim Keller. Tim is a uh, uh, retired pastor uh, from uh, our denomination who uh, resides in New York. And a while ago, he was diagnosed with uh, pancreatic cancer. Uh, and when he, he and his wife Kathy received that diagnosis, uh, the doctor said to them, you know, I want you to understand, this is what you're going to die from. You know, this, this, this is going to kill you. Okay? And so uh, she interviewed him uh, last week, and she said, this is one of the things uh, that uh, he, he said to her, Holy Week gives you both death and resurrection, Right? And certainly the tests that Tim is experiencing that all of us will experience because all of us will be tested by, fire, by the fire of death at some point, right? He says, they don't, uh, Holy Week gives you both death and resurrection. They don't make any sense apart. You can't have the joy of resurrection unless you've gone through a death. And death without resurrection is just hopeless. 
Essentially, the death-resurrection motif or pattern is absolutely at the heart of what it means to live a Christian life. And actually, everything in life is like that. With any kind of suffering, if I respond to it by looking to God in faith, suffering drives me like a nail deeper into God's love, which is what cancer has done for me. Can you imagine that? That cancer, that struggle, because Tim, in his weak faith, takes God at his word. He feels like he is being driven deeper into the love of God. I do think that the great thing about cancer is that Easter does mean a whole lot more. Because I look at Easter and I say, because of this, I can face anything. In the past, I thought of Easter as a kind of optimistic, upbeat way of thinking about life. And now I see that Easter is a universal solvent. It can eat through any fear, any anger, and despair. I see it as more powerful than ever before. I think that's the way the resurrection works, is... It's this event that occurred, this powerful, life-altering, eternity-altering uh, event. And I think we come at this thing uh, at different times and at different places with kind of a different appreciation for it. But I think what Tim is getting at is, as he is experiencing the fire, the test... Uh, the fiery trial that Peter talks about here, as he sees that and he feels that and he experiences that in his body, the fact that Jesus Christ died and rose again becomes all the more powerful to him. It's funny, the resurrection is like that, right? I mean, uh, we, we, the resurrection power helps us get up in the morning and face a hard day but it also helps us face death. It also gives us hope when everything else around us says there is no hope. The resurrection says there's always hope because Jesus rose from the dead. That's our hope today. And so as we come to the table of the Lord, it's good for us uh, to do so uh, with a sure and certain understanding of what it is that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus. They did as he had directed them and prepared the Passover. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, when I drink again of this fruit of the vine, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's confess our sins together by using uh, the prayer of confession uh, that's in the bulletin, also up on the screens behind me. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, in raising your son from the grave, you shattered the power of sin and death. 
By your spirit, you caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You promise an inheritance that is imperishable, but we have succumbed to doubt, fear, and perishable ways that lead to death. You promise to reveal your salvation, but we have grown impatient and rebellious. We have been overwhelmed by grief and trial, and our faith and love wears thin. Forgive us, Father of mercy. We long to see our risen Lord. Grant us faith to believe in him, and teach us to long for that day of inexpressible joy, filled with glory in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. Amen. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now, ministering in his name. Jesus says that he looks forward to eating and drinking this meal uh, with his followers in his kingdom. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes that whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so one of the things that's very basic about the logic of that is, is that we can't, uh, uh, we're declaring his death until he comes uh, if Jesus is dead, he ain't coming. Right? But the fact of the matter is, he's risen from the dead. And because he's risen from the dead, we remind ourselves and we are reminded today of the great hope that we have. Just as the disciples despaired that holy Saturday, they were alarmed and uh, disturbed and excited to recognize that the way things seemed to be was not the way things were, because now they live in a world where the dead walk out of their graves. Now they live in a world that this Jesus Christ, the first fruits of the resurrection, gives that gift of resurrection to us. And so when we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, what we are saying is, Yes, this world has been affected by sin and death, but Jesus has overcome. And because we are in him, we too will overcome. And so we grieve, we get sad, we get discouraged, we get tired, we get fatigued. All of those things are true, but we don't do it without hope. Because in every point and every turn in the road, because Jesus has risen from the dead, there is no reason for hopelessness. Because he's alive. And he will come to take us on to be with him. And so as we gather at his table today, we are gathering at the table remembering his death. But we gather at his table today to remember his death and the sure and certain hope that he rose from the dead and that he will come again. That's our hope. It's sure. 
It's certain. It's something that we bank on, kept in heaven, imperishable, certain, sure. That's our proclamation. If you've come to that place in your spiritual life where you have no other hope, no other faith, no other profession except that Jesus Christ died for you and that he rose again, you, you have professed that to a body of believers somewhere. He welcomes you to his table in preparation for that day where our hope and our faith become sight. And all of us, all of his people, will see him in glory and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest of your master. That is what we long for that is what we hope for, and that hope is certain and sure today. As the elders come down front uh, this morning to assist me, let me just tell you that there are trays with uh, uh, juice and uh, gluten-free bread, and there are trays with wine and gluten-free bread. What you'll find is two cups when you come up, up uh, forward uh, with uh, a cup of juice or wine on the outside with a tiny uh, cup uh, with a, um, a wafer of uh, gluten-free bread uh, underneath it. Uh, if you are uh, unable or unwilling to come forward, raise your hand and we'll uh, make sure uh, that you get served. Once everyone has been served, uh, hold uh, the bread, hold the cup when you go back to your seat and we'll eat it all and drink it uh, all together.